Thanks again for tuning in to the Paper Lantern Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Wong, and I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. We are just getting started with producing episodes and could use your input to help us get better. If you have any feedback for us or suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a friend or colleague that you think might enjoy this episode, please share our podcast with them and tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you've all had a wonderful winter break with your family and loved ones. Wishing you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a joyous Kwanzaa, whatever holiday that you choose to celebrate. It's been a few weeks since the last podcast episode, and I'm excited to share with you the last interview of the decade with my dear friend, Michael Wong. He's a veteran of the startup world who lives and breathes digital marketing. He currently works at Databricks as a senior manager for demand generation and marketing ops. He's also an incredibly talented person. He's a semi-professional beatboxer, a talented pianist, an incredible badminton player, and an absolute baller on the basketball court who has an unstoppable one-dribble pull-up jumper. I've known Michael and his younger brother Gary since high school, where we had a lot of mutual friends and overlapping interests in basketball, badminton, and business. The three Bs, dare I say. Throughout the years, we've both made a really wholehearted effort to stay in touch, uh, especially as we drifted to different places, he in Chicago, myself in Seattle, and uh, we'd always just make an effort to meet up when we were in, in our hometown of Cupertino during our winter breaks. We're both old souls, and we love to grab coffee, tea, or food in the suburbs and just talk about life, free market economics, and the pursuit of higher meaning. Beyond his accomplishments, Michael is somebody that embodies the idea of being a wholesome, balanced, and responsible family man. I think Michael is an absolutely wonderful friend and a role model who offers so much insight about balancing career goals, cultural expectations, family, as well as his creative spark. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Cheers! Hello and welcome, Michael Wong, to this episode of the Paper Lantern Podcast. Would you care to introduce yourself to our, our listeners today? My name is Michael. Uh, Derek, you and I have known each other for a long time. We went to high school together. Yes. Monta Vista. Um, after Monta Vista High School, I went to U Chicago for four years of undergrad, studying econ and psych. And then after that, I kind of launched myself into the uh, tech community. I started off in ad tech and then kind of moved into different uh, B2B SaaS companies, and I do marketing. We'll definitely dive deeper into all the different elements of your narrative. Uh, but first, we'd love to learn more about you. So let's start with some rapid-fire questions so our listeners can get a better sense of your personality. Uh, but let's start with, if you had a spirit animal, what would that be and why? It would probably be a puppy oh, because okay. I am pretty loyal and really easy to satisfy. Oh, yeah, so simple. Here's some treats, and here's a few belly rubs, and bam, so much easier than the rat race in corporate America. Oh, yeah. Very cool, very cool. And let's talk about books and movies. Are there any books or characters in movies that give you a lot of inspiration or books that have changed your life in any way? I would say there was a book in, I forget if it was middle or elementary school, mm-hmm. um, called The Sign of the Beaver. Ooh. That was, it was basically about um, how a kid made his way to the the United States, I guess, new the new world at that time, um, and how he had to kind of live through a whole winter by himself before his mother uh, arrived from, from England. 
Um, and so the book itself kind of got me into reading because uh, it was before that I was just kind of like, oh, well, there's there's all these books. I have to read them. Um, but that that book itself kind of really got me into like literary storytelling. Um, it kind of got me into understanding characters. Um, and I think that's kind of as a nascent thing kind of got me into marketing. Mm, yeah. And I think it's fun because in if you think back towards a lot of the books we read in middle school, elementary school and going into high school, I feel I feel that a lot of them are focused on you know, those stories of independence, stories of survival to mm-hmm. a certain extent. It's those it's almost like the American narratives of whether it's my side of the mountain, you know, the hatchet, and I guess the yeah. side of the beaver. It's like, oh wow, that storytelling from the first person, that challenge, that struggle to, you know, survive and make your make your way in this world. And uh, going a little bit deeper into kind of different narrative elements, like was there was it the character that really, you know, motivated you, or would you say it's more of just it sparked your interest in stories? I think it sparked my interest in stories. In particular, uh, the interplay between the main character and kind of the Native American character that served as um, not necessarily a foil, mm-hmm. but kind of as the accompanying character. Yep. Um, that kind of interplay really, really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this type of storytelling in, in the sense that it's really descriptive, it's it's not fluffy at all, mm-hmm. even for a like elementary middle school book. Uh, at the time, I was I was thinking that, hey, this is like this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like. It's, it combines aspects of history, of storytelling, mm-hmm. um, and kind of puts it all together in a way where it's like a fresh perspective on something that actually happened in real life. Very cool, very cool. And are you a big reader now, or has work and other stuff kind of taken over? Are there any books you've read recently that you recommend? I haven't really had the chance to read a ton of books recently. Uh, I've actually been reading a lot of articles on Flipboard mm-hmm. uh, about just you know marketing in general, um, Brand awareness, uh, demand gen, sales funnel, that type of thing, oh, oh, oh. Um, which is a lot of what I do work on. Um, and I've actually been getting more into, actually I have read a few books mm. recently, but they're mostly about just like audio um, mm. because I'm kind of more interested in creating more of my own music. So learning about what it means to record audio and uh, the process behind it. Yeah, and if you want to just provide some commentary on the amazing space that we're in now, I mean, we're in your home studio, there's mics, there's studio headsets, there's everything. Can you tell more about the space that we're in? Yeah, so I, last year, uh, around the Black Friday sale time, I was thinking like, okay, I kind of really want to get more into music, um, because we'll go over this later probably, yeah, I'm in an acapella group, mm-hmm. um, and I uh, play piano, so I kind of wanted to get more into the creating of music, uh, so for me, I kind of started on my laptop, and the more I got into it, the better I got into it. I was thinking like, okay, maybe I should probably spruce up the studio a little bit. So I got myself an audio interface. I got myself um, uh, monitor, studio monitors that you can listen to your mix in. Uh, and then I've always loved just tech in general. So I got a few other doodads there. And so this is kind of the space we're in. Uh, it's not treated particularly well, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of going to be the next step. Yeah, yeah. For all walk around, pretty soon you'll have the insulated walls or the sound <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, but it's incredible to be able to record this here and to learn so much about audio equipment, things that work sometimes, things don't work as we uh, recently learned, but lots to uh, dig deeper into and you can tell you have a depth of knowledge from those audiobooks. And switching gears a little bit in terms of our uh, kind of our fun flavor questions is I know during those middle school and high school days we liked to play basketball mm-hmm. and you were always, you know, miles above where I was. Oh, not at level, all, Derek. Not at yourself, all. Like, are there like NBA play- Is there a particular NBA player that is your favorite and whose gameplay style that you try to replicate? So my classic answer is John Stockton because oh. he is the epitome of what it means to be a leader and to be a point guard. 
Um, in the recent years, Steph Curry has become a huge favorite just because he's kind of been such a hard worker. He's overcome a lot of odds mm-hmm. of not being taken seriously, but still being able to rise above everyone and really sticking to his game plan mm-hmm. of uh, you know being a good shooter, being really solid overall, and being a good leader by example. So. Uh, these two are the type of players that I, that I really, really like. Yeah, and you know that my favorite player is Steve Nash, and I would say yeah. that Steve Nash is almost, it's almost like a generation. It's like there's John Stockton, there's Steve Nash, and there's Steph Curry in a sense where these are all players that make their teammates so much better. They Well, even though Steph Curry is an anomaly in terms of scoring, <laughs> you know, Nash and John Stockton being the assist legends, right? Always oh, yeah. sharing the ball and making their teammates better. And as you mentioned, you're being powerful leaders. I think that's something that we can all learn from is you know a good leader isn't the one who you know, looks the best on stage and scores the most points right but it's the one that makes their team way way better and i think that's cool that we both you know really really drawn towards that sort of uh, leadership style oh yeah for yeah. sure awesome and i know we dropped some hints along the way but the reason why i wanted to you know have you on this podcast is to share more about your journey both in your career working in marketing demand gen and in startups as well as your own personal journey pursuing your passion for music and you know, your perspectives there but let's start with your career journey could you tell us you know, walk us through your journey and how you started on this path so at the very beginning when I was at UChicago mm-hmm. um, like every good Asian boy I was mm-hmm. told hey Michael you're gonna go to school and you're gonna become a doctor yeah. you know nice and simple right mm-hmm. uh, when I got to school I took my very first bio class and it was the hardest thing ever mm-hmm. uh, I, in retrospect I may have taken the hardest class that I could have as a freshman entering. Um, so unsurprisingly, I dropped out of the class about like a week and a half into it, just because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if this is going to help me become a doctor. And by that point, I was a little bit like, already you know, a week and a half in, I was a little bit disillusioned yeah. with like becoming a doctor and making the slog uh, mm-hmm. doing science. So at that point, I was just kind of, um, you know, testing the waters, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had a few friends I made a few friends at the time that were really into just like entrepreneurship and business. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I didn't do that any of that in high school. In fact, one of the things I wrote in elementary school on what do you want to be when you grow up is definitely not a businessman. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Why do you think that was? Is it you know, the reputation of business people? The reputation, like, I would think, purely profit driven, or mm-hmm. uh, was it from movies or characters? Or why do you think built that first reaction or version to being a business person? So it's interesting because my mom's side is all business people. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of me didn't want to be like them. Yeah. Um, but part of the reason why I did end up getting into business was because I saw how, success, how successful my parents and my aunties and uncles were. Yeah. And I just saw the good side of being a business person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the not being sleazy and just like undercutting people, yeah. but being really able to help people and kind of invest your profits in a way that actually mm-hmm. is, is good for everybody. So... Yeah, so back to you, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of started hanging out with these people. Um, we did uh, we worked on a few projects together, mm-hmm. um, and then from there, I kind of found an internship with a company called Intermatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, it, the founder actually ended up selling it to another company. But basically, Intermatch was a way to uh, help people find internships, as, sure. as yeah, the name yeah. suggests, uh, and it also became like a job board. So it was like one of the earlier uh, kind of front runners in kind of helping students find their internship, um, mm-hmm. both like in person as well as in uh, like remote type of opportunities, cool. which is super cool for me mm-hmm. because I did my internship in Chicago where, where I went to school at and Intern Match was based out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. A, a um, lovely hometown. Yes, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, so then from there I was like, okay, 
um, I've learned a lot about different aspects of you know startup life. Mm -hmm. uh, what what kind of is the most interesting uh, part that I kind of want to dive into? Because mm -hmm. at that point, I knew I wanted to do startups. Yeah. Um, whatever type of startups, didn't really know, but kind of the small to medium business type of mm -hmm. opportunities, that's kind of where my sweet, sweet spot was. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I tried a few things, and ultimately I ended up uh, really enjoying marketing. Mm. Ironically, because yeah, yeah, yeah. marketing is kind of what you think mm -hmm. of as kind of like the quintessential business person. Yeah, Second yeah. to like the sales person, right? right, right. Kind of like, oh, they're sleazy, yeah. they're really trying to like sell you something you really don't need. Mm -hmm. um, but because I'd studied economic psychology mm -hmm. in college, I felt that was like a really natural progression yeah. to kind of applying, um, you know, how do people think um, in like large groups versus like how do people think in a one-on-one -on -one situation? Mm -hmm. Kind of putting that together and kind of just you know starting out my marketing career. Yeah, I remember you know, through the years as we would come back from breaks, we were both econ majors, mm -hmm. and I know Chicago University of Chicago is one of the top, if not the most storied economics school in the world, right? With so many you know, noble. Nobel laureates uh, mm -hmm. economics, yeah. but we both had this interest in psychology and people. And we would, I remember eat, whether it's eating at the local uh, you know, Chinese supermarket, uh, <laughs> deli, just talking about marketing. I was like, oh, we are old souls just thinking about our futures, but we're still but college students. So I definitely remember those oh, yeah. conversations. But how did you take that interest in marketing? Like, how did you start exploring it further? I started off really broadly. Um, I, I was just like, I want to do marketing, but I don't know what I want. So I took opportunities where I could kind of immerse myself in different aspects. So my first full-time internship was at a company called MindSnack. Uh, they've now since become Elevate. Um, but the, the program itself um, gave me an opportunity to do a lot of different types of marketing. Mm -hmm. So I went in initially as kind of like, my title was literally like marketing intern. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, you know, social media right, or right. email marketing, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just literally marketing intern. Mm -hmm. And so at the company, I did like a bunch of different things. Uh, ultimately, my hands touched uh, social media, mm -hmm. uh, app store marketing, email yes. marketing, a little bit of database marketing as well, mm -hmm. and probably some other things that don't really come to mind right now. And were there things that you just immediately did not like? Like, oh, I tried to say social media marketing. This, I get it, but it's not for me. Were there any things that, as an intern that you learned that you didn't like? The hard part was that I kind of liked everything a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, um, I, that, it reaffirmed a few things for me. Mm -hmm. One, I did want to do marketing. Um, two, I did want to do it for a startup. And three, I did want to stay in the tech community. So um, that was my, that was my junior year um, in college, the, the, between my junior and uh, senior years mm -hmm. in college. And so when I was looking for jobs uh, in my senior year, uh, I came across a good, really good opportunity with LiveRamp, um, which now is a public company. But mm -hmm. at the time, it was just very small. Um, Orrin Hoffman founded it. And um, I had a really co good conversation with him, and who is now the CEO, a co-president of LiveRamp, but at the time was kind of head of marketing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had a really good conversation. I would go in as kind of like a product marketing type of person. Yes. Um, but when I got there, there was like a lot of opportunity to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, I got to actually dabble a little bit on the product side, mm -hmm. um, you know, work with the product managers a little mm -hmm. bit, work with the customer implementation mm -hmm. team, um, and then ultimately, I got my start in marketing ops uh, and demand gen mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. And so much to unpack there. I think one area that a lot of our listeners are interested too is almost like facing the reality of this is not what your parents wanted. <laughs> How did you reconcile that? Is it you know going from so before we kind of dive into that? I think the reason why this is a recent kind of hypothesis I've had in my mind is I feel a lot of our I guess the previous generation Asian culture 
they gravitate towards you know, the doctor, lawyer, engineer track is because they're very structured, right? It's a very stable, predictable career path. If you just follow these steps, stay within these you know, steps, these two years you'll be an associate, and after this you'll get promoted and such, it feels very predictable and it's a safe path that offers great benefit, it's oh, reliable, yeah. you can just start a family. And how did your parents react to this more unstructured path of one, doing marketing, which doesn't always have you know clear after four years, you're going to be a manager, otherwise you're behind. Like, <laughs> how did you manage that? Plus, you know, the startup path. Like, how did those conversations go? So, funnily enough, mm. my parents were mostly okay with it. Yeah. Um, both my parents worked for HP for many, many, many years. Um, they're now currently retired. And they were both software engineers that kind of worked their way up to become um, project and program managers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, when I told them, I'm going to do marketing for a start, they were yeah. like, Great, you'll have lots of opportunities to learn. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I don't have to yeah. justify something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was also because when, when I told them I wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. at the time I thought they wanted me to be a doctor, but in actuality, they just were accepting of the fact that, hey, you know, Michael, you want to be a doctor? That's cool. You can mm-hmm. go be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really nice to hear about their support. And I think, uh, remember I was saying in the beginning how yeah. my, uh, my aunts and uncles, they did a lot of business mm-hmm. and were involved in a lot of that. I think my parents were like, yeah, you can you can do really well in business mm-hmm. and there's a good way to be a business person. Yeah. So, you know, with that, my parents definitely supported me. It's kind of funny though, because yeah. when I told them I was going to be in marketing, they'll be like, oh, you're going to be traveling so much. Uh, and it's because they thought I was going to be a field marketer. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, back in the day when you're at HP, mm-hmm. uh, you know, think back in 1980s, right? Yeah, or ni- yeah. 19, sorry, 1990s. They ran the world. They were the coolest They ran the world. Thought, and yeah. they spent a ton of money on field marketing. So when my parents thought of marketing, they're just kind of, oh, you go to trade shows, you schmooze a lot. Yeah. Michael, you're not really a schmoozer. Are you really going to be able to make it here? Yeah. And then I had to continually tell them like, mm-hmm. no, I'm actually going to be working like, you know, in-house, on-site a lot. Don't have a lot of travel. Yeah. They were really skeptical. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It's been a great series of years. And before we talk about, you know, the experiences and the progression, I'd love to learn more about like that soul searching element. You know, early on you mentioned that. As a kid, you thought you did want to do marketing and through some early formative experiences in college and these internships, you started realizing that this is something you were really interested in, but also something you could be great at, right? Did you intentionally start asking yourself some big questions during that time? How did soul searching and finding that right career path play into this career path as well? Did you think a lot about it? The initial questions were obviously, Mm -hmm. how am I going to make enough money so I can eat? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like one of the core questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I was also trying to find, like everybody else is, trying mm-hmm. to find your purpose in life. Yeah. Um, I, I knew I wanted to do something mm-hmm. impactful. I knew I wanted to do something mm-hmm. that could kind of give me a lot of experience and could, uh, allow me to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. Just just a lot of those things along those lines that, that were a little bit nebulous, but, yeah. you know, positive things that I wanted to do. And I think ultimately I settled on being able to gain a set of skills and meet a set of people that would help me be able to help make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds kind of weird coming from a marketer, yeah. but if you think about it, uh, revolutions and uh, messaging, well, not messaging, that's my marketer coming out. Uh-huh. Uh, revolutions and just kind of the ability to, uh, you know, send your, what, your story, mm-hmm. not message, your story out to people mm-hmm. um, is, you know, a very core component of, mess, uh, of marketing. And it's also a really important way of kind of changing the world uh, mm-hmm. one step at a time. Mm-hmm. 
if you kind of push these positive messages out and you're pushing them in the right way, you're able to push humanity in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I wanted to be able to, uh, you know, learn the skills that would enable me to kind of come up with those stories mm -hmm. and also be able to push those stories in the right way to the most people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then ultimately, I would be able to enact change that way. So as mm -hmm. a, I want to say as a 22-year-old, that mm -hmm. was my dream. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making my way there. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, been a, I've been really fortunate that the opportunities I've gotten mm -hmm. have allowed me to continue learning in that way, meet people who are of, of like mind, and, you know, it's, it's been really good for me. Yeah, it's funny, the book that is Sapiens, I, I know in one of the previous episodes on this podcast where you talked about the author, I remember it's either Noah Yuval Harari or Yuval Noah Harari. <laughs> I still mix it up, so I'll probably have to do some scrubbing after this and make sure it's right, <laughs> but I think in Sapiens they talk about how the, the ability to communicate complex ideas or to paint a vision for other you know, folks that belong to the human sapiens tribe allowed us to unify, band together, and take on bigger challenges. It's that idea of painting a vision and sharing an idea, and I feel that's essentially the, the, the core essence of what marketing is. It's a product or an, a service, and you communicate its most important ideas to a different group of people mm -hmm. that all that you predict or have a hypothesis will probably want this, that they have a pain point. I think that's really, really interesting, that, that idea of communicating an idea and fulfilling that, that unmet want. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, 100%. Can we take a little bit deeper into your responsibilities and how those have progressed as well? When do you feel that you're you know, at your, your, your sweet spot? Is it a recent thing that, or, or is it more of a you've always been progressing and like the skills versus going deep? We'd love to kind of hear uh, your thoughts Yeah, that. I've been able to uh, continue to progress. Um, I've I had my career with a huge focus on growth, mm -hmm. uh, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And so after my stint at LiveRamp, I joined kind of like two smaller startups. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately from there, I was able to uh, join Databricks, where I currently am at now. Sweet. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for me, I after my LiveRamp experience, I kind of knew like, okay, I wanted to do demand gen, I wanted to do marketing operations. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, that was kind of where I really started to cut my teeth, get some ops chops, if you may. Oh, okay. Um, like and then, that. so then ultimately from there, um, I kind of, I feel like I have this skill set um, that is pretty useful in today's B2B marketing mm -hmm. world, where you kind of have the chops to do marketing operations, you're able to work within the platforms um, and kind of have a systems way of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, because I've been exposed to so many campaigns, I've had the opportunity to work on a lot of campaigns, mm -hmm. develop it, and work with people who are way more experienced than I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been able to kind of merge those two worlds together, yeah. being able to come up with an idea for what the campaign is going to be, but then also operationalize it, kind of mm. like the, the nitty, getting into the nitty gritty and being able to say like, okay, here are the tactics we're going to run. I know what is going to make each of these successful. And ultimately, this is going to roll up and make this a uh, successful campaign. Mm -hmm. So for folks that might not be as familiar or might not be natives to the digital marketing space, could you explain what marketing ops is at a high level? and? You know, just to clear up any misconceptions, what demand gen is, because I'm mm -hmm. sure there's lots of you know, pieces up to the puzzle that people might have, but we'd love to hear it uh, from the expert. The easiest way of describing marketing operations is uh, somebody who kind of works and makes sure that the process and people mm -hmm. uh, for on a marketing team work well together. Mm -hmm. um, in recent years, this also encompasses kind of uh, managing platforms, but that's kind of part of the process, right? If you bring in a platform, uh, you build in a process and you make sure that the people understand it and can stick to that process, then you can have a team that is really scalable mm -hmm. and can continue to hum. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so marketing operations for me tangibly means working in Marketo and Salesforce mm -hmm. um, or any sort of marketing automation system, yeah. you know, your Eloquas, your uh, Pardos, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of how I got my teeth, uh, how I cut my teeth on marketing operations. Mm -hmm. um, and generally when you work in marketing ops, mm -hmm. you're actually very, very closely aligned with the demand generation team. Mm -hmm. uh, the demand generation team, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but at its very core, you're helping find people who are interested in your product uh, and delivering it to your sales team. Mm -hmm. um, that, that comes in a lot of different ways, but you kind of de uh, generate demand via uh, collateral, via education, yeah. or kind of finding some nascent demand and then kind of uh, delivering a message to them to kind of uncover that. Yeah. And so your success kind of comes in the form of either uh, leads that come in, um, accounts that show that they're interested, companies that are interested, mm -hmm. um, and, and a number of other things as well, like uh, you know traffic to your website, um, attention that then converts into like trying your product, mm -hmm. things like that. I just spewed out a bunch of things, but like at its core, mm -hmm. you're you're kind of working between the marketing team and the sales team, mm -hmm. because the marketing team is responsible for the story, for all the messaging, and you're kind of taking that and you're amplifying it to a bunch of different people in the market that are kind of part of your ideal customer profile. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once you find those people, that's kind of gold to your sales team. Mm -hmm. So then you pass it directly on to them and you work closely with your sales team to make sure that these people are worked properly. Very cool. And for yourself, what's next? Is it staying in this space and becoming even better at it? Is it growing your own teams and managing a team of other marketing ops folks? Or is it striking out on your own, finding another promising startup? And of course, you know, your word, what you say here is not binding, what would you accountable <laughs> for them? But you know, what's next for you, Michael? As I look at career growth, mm -hmm. I feel like in terms of what I've learned um, from like a hard skills perspective, yeah. I think I'm continuing to pick it up, and I, I love picking up skills. Um, just you know, it's I think it's I think it's part of my very nature mm -hmm. to just learn things, and if I'm interested in it, I just kind of you know really dive deeper into it. Mm -hmm. I think something I have been trying to work on a lot has been uh, you know soft skills overall, mm -hmm. and that's a variety of things, right? Mm -hmm. It's how do you pull together a presentation? Obviously, you have to know the material, but Couching it in a way and understanding your audience, uh, that's something that requires a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Something that we not necessarily had a lot of practice in, um, in high school, mm -hmm. uh, middle school and high school, because you know we were told by our parents, you know, you gotta study, you gotta do your math homework. Mm -hmm. They didn't really focus on like, oh, how do you write a good essay in lit? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I think that's gonna be a huge, uh, that's a huge personal goal for me, mm -hmm. and I hope that helps me with my career progression. Um, obviously, there's a ton of different things I could do. Um, I can go to a bigger company, I can go to a smaller company, I can change uh, industries. Um, but I think I definitely, uh, for my next job, I definitely want to have the opportunity to kind of lead a team and to grow a team. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as you, you know, going back to the whole thing about like, how do you become a good marketer and what, is, what does it mean to kind of change the world through marketing, right? Yeah. Um, you can't do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. So being able to, have a vision and be able to communicate to your team mm -hmm. and also to get them to uh, weigh in with their good ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a huge part of becoming just an overall good marketer. Yeah, I think you bring up so many great points about it's, it's one thing about being a deep subject matter expert. You know how to run all the campaigns, you know how to optimize the tools, but at the same time, it's how do you teach others? How do you mm -hmm. bring this team to work better together? And of course, motivate and inspire. So I think there's a very, very bright future. It's 2020 coming up right around the corner. So. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think definitely I want to stay in marketing yeah. for for myself. Um, and I think uh, just like one small point. Um, mm -hmm. I think demand generation kind of, for me at least, 
uh, sits really closely to how what you think about when you run a business, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously, the thing that's closest to running a business would be the CEO or the finance team mm-hmm. because the CEO oversees everything. Mm-hmm. And the finance team sees like, oh, here's all the money we spent and here's all the money we're coming in. Yeah. Um, for me, demand generation kind of, you kind of have to understand your ROI, right? Mm-hmm. So that means like... The ROI you, is return on investment. Yes, to money. exactly. But yeah, please go on, please go on. Uh, you're, you're trying to see like, you know, what you're getting out of the money that you're investing mm-hmm. in it. And to me, that's... Uh, that's very similar to what the finance team is doing, mm-hmm. but I'm able to look at it with the marketing spin. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm able to kind of build the skills so that if I'm able to strike it out on my own, or if someone is asking me like, hey, you know, I want to run my really cool business or mm-hmm. uh, I want to amplify a really cool message. Mm-hmm. How can you help me with that? Yeah. And I feel like I would be well equipped. Absolutely, yeah. Building those soft skills, having that strong backbone, that foundational, I can provide this value to your organization, whether it's my own group or being a freelancer or working at a startup or a company of any size. Well done. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk more about another big part of your life beyond your career. It's something that as a friend and as an observer, I've just watched you grow so much in terms of musicality. Could you share more about your musical journey and how that plays such a big role in your life? I started off as a classical pianist, as most good Chinese boys are. <laughs> you know, you're, as well. <laughs> you're told to <laughs> sit down and practice for an hour before you can get up and do whatever else you want to do. Oh yes, oh yes. Mm. Uh, and so that's kind of where I got started with my musical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can imagine, I wasn't super, super into it, mm-hmm. um, but I did derive a lot of pleasure mm-hmm. from uh, learning a lot of technical skills. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, playing scales, playing arpeggios, um, mm-hmm. playing these really, really technical songs. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my sweet spot. Uh, but at the time, uh, up until I was uh, finishing high school, yeah. that's when I played piano. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't really, I didn't really understand the music. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to take the Certificate of Merit test, which I took every year, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because my mom and my teacher told me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, structure, right? Yes, yeah, very much structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really understand music theory. I understood, you know, what's a triad, what what's an interval, what's a perfect fourth. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I didn't know why music sounded good. Uh, there's all these things I can identify, but I wasn't able to put it together on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think around that point, that's kind of when I also uh, got really interested in beatboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in high school. I was finishing in my lit class. I finished my work already. Mm-hmm. And my friend, uh, our good friend, Alex Liu. Oh, yes. Actually, I remember that gentleman. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. He uh, was beatboxing a little bit. And I was like, yo, I've been trying to learn how to beatbox like, mm-hmm. in my head, but not seriously yeah. for like about a year. Can you teach me? Uh-huh. And so it kind of started from there. Huh. Uh, and to me at the time, it was, it was perfect because I had learned all these technical skills in piano, but I was kind of getting bored of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so this was the perfect outlet to kind of learn a different instrument uh, and to kind of learn something on my own that I uh, could say like, hey, I was interested in it so I could take that first step on my own mm-hmm. without intervention from like, you know, any family or any friends. Mm-hmm. It was like my own decision. I was super proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually kind of, I personal biased opinion, I feel like that's kind of what got me into uh, the schools that I got into sure, during yeah. the college application mm-hmm. process. My uh, just a sidebar. My my essay started off being like, "Oh, I want to go to med school and I want to become a doctor." Uh, but as I read it, I realized, "Wow, this is probably the most cliche thing you could ever write." Mm-hmm. So I scrapped that whole thing like probably three days before I was supposed to yeah. submit my essay, and I was just like, "I started off playing classical piano, yeah. but then I really got into beatboxing. Mm. Um, I really 
I have learned so much about hip hop um, throughout time, and I feel like this really reflects how I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm able to kind of take the next step uh, and not just stay on the same path, but kind of branch out a little bit, mm-hmm. peek around the corners, and you know, if I see something interesting, I, I'll kind of go for it. Yeah, so convergence of knowledge, of theory, of <laughs> curiosity, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Curiosity killed the cat, but if the cat looked around the corner, the yeah. cat would be okay. And then we'll probably make a cool <laughs> song too. Yeah. yeah. But go on, go on. So you mentioned yes. that you were uh, getting into beatboxing, and mm-hmm. like, what happened next? And then, so when I went to college, I actually did not do acapella at all. Mm-hmm. I, I tried out for this group called Voices in Your Head, mm-hmm. and because I couldn't sing, rightfully so, they were like, well, you know, it doesn't really make sense to just have a person do the beatbox. Uh, yeah. So at the time, I was a little bit hurt, mm-hmm. but it was okay. I uh, formed a band called <laughs> The Shaft. Wow, because, impressive, yeah, The Shaft. Uh, because to uh-huh. keep it PG, we had... Um, four members with uh, kind of phallic sounding last names. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never knew about this. That's fascinating. <laughs> that is okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was the drums, um, vocal drums. Uh, yeah. We had uh, somebody who was on the piano, somebody who was on vocals, and somebody who was playing guitar. Cool. So that was actually my first foray into like real performative music. Mm. Music. I, I had done, uh, you know, piano recitals, but I was always super nervous. Right. My hands were super shaky, always clammy. I had to run them under hot water and I still wouldn't be able to do yeah. super well. Uh, but like going on stage, being like a beatboxer and with like other people, mm-hmm. it felt really normal. It felt really natural. Mm. Um, and then from there, it went from like being in a band to doing a live looping music project. Mm, and from there, uh, that was just kind of my college experience. After I finished that, I was just like, okay, you know, this is cool. Uh, time to go get the workforce. Yeah, yeah. And so around that time, I kept beatboxing a little bit, mm-hmm. but I didn't do a ton of beatboxing. And at, at around that time, I had really stopped playing piano. Mm. Um, then one of my friends who was in the beatboxing community was like, hey, you should join this acapella group. Um, I said, okay, and that group was a terrible thing. Oh, it, wow. it was an awful group. Um, I'll go on the record to say it. Um, <laughs> the, the guy who runs it, uh, Mr. Lamon Drake, yeah. which isn't even his real name, uh-huh. um, was just not a good person. Mm. Um, but I met a lot of wonderful people there yeah, who were yeah. in the acapella community. Mm-hmm. And so I got to learn all about uh, harmony, about arrangements, mm. and about what it meant to be in like a kind of large-scale acapella group. It's almost like learning when you work in a big corporate environment. <laughs> learning bad habits and learning what a bad manager is will make you avoid those sort of things or learn how to run it. Right? Precisely. So I suppose there's some, there's some virtue, some silver, the, the silver lining in this bad cloud. Oh yeah, and those things have actually helped me, like not just like vetting out acapella groups, but also just vetting out like, hey, is this a good company or not? Mm-hmm. I think those, that was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Then my same friend come back to me and was like, hey, do you want to join this other acapella group? And I'm like, yo, are you going to lead me astray again? Oh yeah. <laughs> but luckily this time it was good, and mm-hmm. um, I joined Business Casual in 2015. This is in Chicago or in the Bay Area? This is in the Bay Area. Bay Area. Oh, so yeah. after you Chicago, I had moved back to the Bay Area yeah. for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Business Casual was based in the Bay Area, uh, including myself. There were five people. Um, and this was my very first experience with like a small, tight acapella group. Mm-hmm. I was I was in the shaft, and we were four people. Mm-hmm. But this is like you know all vocals. Um, there was uh, soprano, alto, tenor, mm-hmm. bass, and beatbox. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like you know pentatonics. Yeah, uh, the, a co-ed the, group. Uh, it was a co-ed yeah. group. Yeah, uh, two ladies and three dudes. Mm. And for me, it was it was a wonderful experience, and it continues to be a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned a lot from the lovely guys and gals of Business Casual. Mm-hmm. So much about musicality, about um, performing on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we've been able to do a lot of really interesting gigs. I think I told you about it. Yeah. Like, Before we dive into <laughs> it, I, I would love to have you share those stories, but can you tell more about what makes Business Casual special or oh, yeah. you know, the name behind it? I think it's just super unique and very, really inspiring. What's interesting about Business Casual is uh, we are a semi-pro group, uh, which means that we do pay gigs, but this isn't our full-time job. Uh, all five members of Business Casual have real-life jobs, um, be it in tech or in science, mm -hmm. and that's what we do in the weekdays, and then on the weekends we gig and rehearse. Mm -hmm. uh, business Casual, the name came up because we're, we all have some sort of you know, business inclination, we all yeah. have real jobs, but we also keep it casual on the weekends. Mm -hmm. I like that, and I think that's, one, that's something I really, really admire, is being able to pursue your passion, finding that tight-knit community of people that also have that same mindset of, mm -hmm. you have an art, you have a skill that you practice, you curate, and you create new content for others, you perform, at the same time you lead, lead meaningful careers and have well-balanced lives, and I think that's such a, a wonderful thing to do. And I think that balance is the most special part about Business mm -hmm. Casual. Uh, because we, we've had a lot of conversations about, oh, what's the future of the group? Mm -hmm. uh, what do we want to do? Those type of things we have often, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is actually very, very, very healthy mm -hmm. for a group, especially for, for one that's, you know, of five people. Having that as a regular conversation topic is super good. Mm -hmm. um, but what we've kind of settled on as our ethos is business casual is not really a way for us to make money. Mm -hmm. uh, we do make money, uh, but it kind of goes back into the group for sound equipment yeah. and for travel, things like that. For us, the whole point of business casual is to enable new and fresh experiences. Mm, cool. That could mean doing a really quirky gig uh, for a wedding, mm -hmm. where we had to do the wedding march and I did vocal symbols. Whoa. It was it was it was quite a spectacle. Yeah. To things like uh, being able to travel abroad to um, Japan or travel to places that never would have gone to in the U.S. like Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta tell the full story. I remember when you shared me uh, shared with me you know, those last few months. It was quite the journey, like a competition. I won't spoil the rest. But could, could you share that story about you know the journey of with with uh, business casual? Yeah, so we we had a gig in um, in April that was in Pittsburgh, and because they paid for our flight back, we could go anywhere we wanted to. So we said, hey, let's go to Arkansas because there was a competition there called Vocal Jam or Voice Jam. Voice Sorry. Jam. Mm -hmm. Voice Jam. Uh, they had a sister competition called Vocal Asia, which uh, kind of did a winner's swap. Wow. So the winner of Voice Jam got to go to Vocal Asia, mm -hmm. and the winner of Vocal Asia got to go to Voice Jam. Cool. And so this was in April. Three months prior to that, we had done a gig with the group that had won Vocal Asia. Mm -hmm. And so they were really cool, and they were just like offhandedly, just like, oh, by the way, we're going to go to Voice Jam. This is part of the reason why we're here. Ah, so they put you in touch with it, or exactly. they eventually you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of that, we got the opportunity to go to Voice Jam. We won. And so this year was the first year that Vocal Asia was going to be held in Japan. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it was a no-brainer. We're like, okay, we're all each going to take two weeks off. We're going to wow. go to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked out. Um, and so there were, there's a lot of experiences like this mm -hmm. for us. Um, it's, I think we've been really fortunate to uh, have the right balance of people who are really driven in their careers mm -hmm. and thus really driven in their own hobbies. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're very in sync with what the goals of Business Casual are, which are to have new, fresh experiences as well as perform really good, charming music. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, that I think the balance of everything is something that you don't see a lot in uh, a semi-pro group. Yeah. There, there have been a lot of semi-pro groups who have kind of disbanded because uh, they're not able to, you know, muster up the time commitment for it because it is hard, right? Absolutely. You're doing, you're working a full work week, mm -hmm. and then you have to do this music. Um, 
And there's also a lot of groups that, you know, want to go pro. And so they'll either go pro and then, uh, you know, kind of struggle a little mm -hmm. bit. And then there's then, you know, when they struggle, then there's a lot of doubt in general. Yeah, or there's a lot of difficulty in trying to figure out like, okay, do we want to go pro mm -hmm. or not? Yeah. And then that kind of like takes people off. But I think luckily enough, we're, we're very steadfast in thinking like, okay, unless the absolute most insane experience comes mm -hmm. along for us where it would make sense for us to leave our jobs, we're trying to keep business casual in a place where we all can keep our jobs, which we're very happy with, and also continue having these amazing musical experiences. Yeah, I love it how the expectations and the commitments are really, really established where you know that this is not going to be, this is how I become a, a singer for a pop star, but more, this is how I can continue to pursue my passion with a group of people that also love it. Uh, you know, yes, we sacrificed our weekends to rehearse and travel back and forth between you know, San Francisco and you know, the South Bay, which is you know good, good hour-long drive each way, but <laughs> it's, it's worth it. It's worth it to have yeah. these special experiences. Absolutely. And, and along the way, both you know, reflecting on your career and this musical journey, have there been any you know, big obstacles or big challenging moments where you question, is marketing the right step for me? Is, you know, I imagine during that time when you had the bad experience in acapella group, did you contemplate quitting or changing? Uh, sounds like you've been on the steady progression along the marketing and the musicality route. Have there been any big roadblocks along the way? How do you solve those? I feel like there are always roadblocks. Mm -hmm. um, for me, uh, I've always tried to sidestep or hop over the roadblocks as best as I can. Yeah. Um, I, I try not to. I try not to dwell on the negative or the positive experience sure, too much. Because sure. um, yeah. if you dwell too much on the negative, mm -hmm. then you just discourage yourself. And if you dwell too much on the positive, you kind of sit on your morals. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, a big roadblock in marketing was kind of trying to figure out like, okay, what do I really want to do? Yeah. yeah. Um, I know I want to do marketing ops, but <clears throat> I also don't want to be in this constant cycle of just like only optimizing process. Mm -hmm. I also want to you know, take a step back and look at what's my goal for as a marketer. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that meant running a lot of campaigns, but then also being smart about it and using what I knew mm -hmm. to parlay that into the new campaign experience. Mm -hmm. For acapella, I think for me, it's something that I'm coming up with right now, mm -hmm. coming up against right now is uh, wanting to make my own music. Yeah. So from before, we were talking a lot about, you know, practicing piano, being really good at executing, mm -hmm. to uh, being a part of a group and, you know, singing a lot uh, and learning what it meant to be a performing group. For me, I think the next step is trying to create a little bit more music. Mm -hmm. So being able to combine, I got back into piano again. Hey. Uh, and but this parents time, are you know smiling deep inside. Very yes, very smile. good for Michael. <laughs> yes, yes. And so mm -hmm. for me, uh, this time around, um, I am using piano as kind of a way for songwriting, mm -hmm. like uh, like a, a tool for songwriting. Mm -hmm. um, the music theory that I learned from years past, by diving a little bit deeper into it, and having the perspective of like, okay, I'm creating the music now, mm -hmm. like totally changed the way I look at. Uh, like musical pieces uh, mm -hmm. done on piano mm -hmm. and just music in general. So combining that with the beatboxing um, as well as what I've learned from the different genres that I was exposed mm -hmm. to in Business Casual, I feel like that's kind of uh, simultaneously a roadblock but also an exciting next step mm -hmm. because it's it's difficult to write your own music. Uh, yeah. It's difficult to uh, not only like doing it from like a technical perspective but also after you finish your day, after I finish Business Casual, it's like where do I find the time and the effort to actually sit down and write up, get myself in the right mindset and then write it all out. Right, right. Especially when there's you know, family events, there's you know, holidays, there's team offsides. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure you, every now and then you get invited to, you know, the lovely oh, Saturday morning brunches and, you know, it, it's 
you know, it's funny how like adulting or just the real world life, you know, unless you really carve out time for something, something always eats up the time. Absolutely. Right? It's really hard to find time. You have to make time. I think that's a really important distinction. And just one observation I had about on your path in terms of musicality is you early on when you're taking the CM certificate of merit test, learning that music theory, it's almost like you're, I won't, I'll put this in air quotes, but like kind of forced or like you're, you're, you're challenged to learn these foundational, almost mm-hmm. like the science behind music, the mathematics, Absolutely. the science. I remember we were talking about like intervals, but it's like, oh yeah, I remember like, I never really understood it. I just remember you just count the number of right. houses. Something. It's like, you don't really care to love it. You just memorize it, right? Absolutely. And then in a way, when you started doing this performance and pursuing so many different genres and learning, it's almost like you learn about the different, like the human soul of music, right? The humanity and the art of it in a way that, as you come back to the theory, it's like, oh, wow, you actually have all this science background, right, in music, and you also have the art, and now it's like, hey, how do you combine that in, like, almost like alchemy, like, how can you <laughs> spend the time, maybe the secret ingredient is actually just time, right, like, now that you have these pieces, you can create gold, dare I say, for some really, really bad uh, science puns, but, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's that's a really good summary of it all, and yeah. I think um, creation is probably, if I were to, like, take a step back mm-hmm. and say, like, what's a big roadblock? Being able to create mm-hmm. um, has been something that I've had to work on as mm-hmm. both a hard skill and a soft skill. Yeah, I think I'm really good at learning something. If I've given it a framework, I can execute on it mm-hmm. pretty well. Uh, but being able to create something from scratch, mm-hmm. I think, is valuable. Um, and I want to do that. So mm-hmm. that is something that I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And speaking about you know, analyzing our lives and talking about the different things that make a meaningful life, would love to hear your thoughts on... Know, what are your priorities and how do you visualize life? Is it, you know, you separate them into different circles? We'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on how you manage such a busy life with relationships, family, you know, athletics, career, music, so many different pieces. We'd love to some advice or thoughts there. Yeah, there are a lot of priorities in my life. Now that I'm kind of going yeah. through my head, yeah. um, in order, um, and I kind of ran through this exercise for mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. saying like, okay, of all the things in my life, what are the things that are actually a priority? And yeah. then what are all the things that I would like to do, but I should probably parking lot for later. And so for me, like in order of importance, mm-hmm. that's kind of um, family and relationships, yeah. then health, and then career, then music, and then after that in the parking lot are mm-hmm. things like um, being able to work on my personal brand, yeah. uh, do business, um, and then also Actually, this one's a little higher. I don't know how I forgot it, but like friends. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So there's actually, for me, there's a slight difference, right, between mm-hmm. um, like family and relationships and friends. Mm-hmm. So family and relationships is kind of what are your existing friendships that you have and can deepen mm-hmm. versus kind of meeting other people. Right. I think both are important. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, when I'm kind of stuck in a time when things are really tumultuous and mm-hmm. really, really busy, I like to lean on my family and my friends mm-hmm. um, for the support. Um, it's it's a little harder to kind of go out and make new friends during that time because you know there's there's a certain time commitment as well as an emotional commitment mm-hmm. before that can happen. So that kind of gets into the parking lot. But I, I think that's something that definitely um, when my schedule clears up or when I'm kind of reevaluating what my goals are, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of that one kind of slots in a little higher sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember reading. I think whether it was on Quora or just a good foundational wisdom was write down the 30 things that are important to you, you know, whether it's you know, family, you know, that's a lot of things, CrossFit, you know, like being a foodie, going to museums, playing piano, playing video games, like 
it's easy to create a laundry list of things you're generally interested in, right? Mm-hmm. When people say, oh, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? You know, very people ask you that blatantly, but it's like, oh, like these are the things that you know and you like. But at the end of the day, like you can only choose maybe five of them. So it's almost like going through that thought exercise of knowing what are the 30 things that you might like, and then really identify what are the five most important things. And I th- it's either Charles Munger or, um, Oh my goodness, Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett, it's like, this oh, exercise, it's that like, sounds about right. you literally just only choose the first, like, the most important five, because everything else you can't do. You literally don't have the time. Yeah. And, you know, love, like, for both of us, you know, we don't have kids yet, we're not married yet, you're further along the road than I am, but, uh, <laughs> it's like, when we're young, maybe we can stretch it to maybe ten things that you pursue, whether it's, you know, musicality, yeah. it's like, you're a creator, you're part of this group, relationships, friends, travel a little bit, etc., but when you're, you know, at our when our parents say that we're at our parents' age, when they're working in full swing, you really don't have too much time. It's like family, paying the bills, work, <laughs> you know, maybe go to the gym once a week, you know, it's like life gets really busy. I think yeah. it's knowing like why you're pursuing these only five things. It's, well, I had to prioritize. And I think one other fun little piece of, you know, wisdom or just a really snappy thing that I heard a manager say is, well, if everything's a priority, nothing's a nothing's priority, right? Priority. Like, I think it's probably our product manager counterparts, right? Oh, what's a part? What's your P0? If everything's a P0, nothing's a P0. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good way of summarizing it. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's, it's it's a very painful exercise actually. I think for for a lot of people it is a painful exercise mm-hmm. because you want to do so many things. Yeah. But you have to really think deeply about what you want to do and how that fits into your overall life mm-hmm. progression and picture. Yeah. Has there ever been anything recently where you used to like to do that your intention? You know what? I'm gonna do less of this. Or you know what? I've outgrown this. Then you intentionally say, yeah, I know that I'll enjoy spending time doing this, but because it's not a priority, I'm going to avoid spending time doing anything that strikes a bell with that. Ironically, uh. I feel like uh, beatbox and acapella kind of oh, like yeah. kind of float up and down in that. Interesting, yeah. But I also think that's also because of um, the, the toll that it takes mm-hmm. on my personal schedule. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do a lot of gigs, and that is a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what tends to happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the other major thing was... Um, and actually, you and I both did this. We both played badminton in high school. Oh, true. Yes, yes. The, the varsity one singles oh, right here. Oh, you and your naughty. brother. Legendary, <laughs> legendary. Yes, so, yes. So we mm. used to play a lot of badminton. And my brother and I used to play a lot of badminton. Mm-hmm. Um, but more recently, that has been replaced by basketball. Yeah. Not yeah. so much because badminton was boring or anything. Right. But because a lot more people play pickup basketball. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, in that sense, there's more of a community to play with. Mm-hmm. Um I don't always have to pay like $10 to go to open gym right. just for like maybe an hour and a half before my friend's like, let's go eat in and out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I think, I, I know you shared this earlier, but something I see as well is, I remember as a kid, I remember saying, I will never give up video games since video games are my favorite thing in the world. But, and to this day, I still love playing video games. I still play games, but significantly less than it used to be. You know, and I you think, know that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I have... I haven't even thought about it because yeah. I haven't really played video games, but I've kind of given it up. Yeah. Like, I used to play a ton of Street Fighter. I used mm. to play a lot of Borderlands. I used to play a lot of multiplayer games with friends. Yeah, yeah. Never got into League of Legends, though. Oh, <laughs> be thankful you stayed away oh, from that. God. Oh, man, you, you dodged a big hairy bullet, yeah. And so I kind of, like, weaned myself off those, mm. uh, partly because some of them just, I don't know, it just feels like, so disappointing because like getting old, so it's like all oh, my eyes yeah. hurt. Yeah, as the first I step. am bad. I am trash. The the youth that play League of Legends online, they remind me that I am trash. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I went from yeah. that to mm-hmm. I want to spend my time doing other things mm-hmm. to like oh okay maybe I'll keep a little bit of video games around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the last vestiges of video games for me were kind of like Hearthstone. Ah, and yeah. And even then, I don't even play that often anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably just 
you know, as your life progresses, you have different priorities. Yeah. For some people, you know, video games become uh, and continue to be a mm-hmm. part of their life. Yeah. That's a major part. But I think for me, it, it just has kind of dwindled a little yeah. bit, similar yeah. to badminton. I think for, for myself, I think video games have a strange relationship where I you know, worked in the industry, I absolutely love games, you worked for my favorite brands or you know, gaming companies. Which is amazing, by the way. Oh, you. <laughs> but the same time, too, it's like I, I feel like when I'm you know, traveling, I guess you know, over the last few months, I've been an anomaly where you know, I was not you know, in my standard routine. But even then, I would play less games than I ever have because it's you're filling your time with things that you actually value more. So yeah. like, I think maybe the you know, cold turkey, you're not, you ban, you're, you're very, the harsh, you know, no video games, you know, you self-flagellate or you hate on yourself if you ever like open up your <laughs> video game. I think that's maybe too harsh of an approach, yeah. but it's more, what are other things that, it's almost like that, taking the time to discover what you might like more than that, right? And it's, of course, video games is really, really accessible. You can play games on your phone, your laptop, whatever, in your living room, but I think life can be filled with so many other enriching experiences and ways to spend your time where it's almost like I encourage people to, you know, think about what that one hobby you know you'd be better off without and try and like, oh, yeah. what would be like a nice like thing that you would rather do than that? I think for me, I filled a lot more of my time with archery or even instead of playing a game, maybe I'll watch a video about you know something else related to it. I think that's, uh, instead of, I think people are really harsh with habit mitigation. It's either I'm bad because I caved into my habit or it's like, just taking straight, straight harsh lines. So it's something yeah. I think a lot about. And I think that's a great point mm-hmm. for any hobby that you would be mm-hmm. working on. Like, you know, if you've, let's say you've been creating music for 10 years yeah. and that's not your main source of mm-hmm. income, you're not, you're not your main livelihood. Yeah. It's also worth thinking about, you know, in addition to music, what else can I do? Yeah. Could I be doing a different form of art? Uh, Could I be doing something that's completely different? I think it's healthy to take a step back and think about like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, what could I be spending my time on? Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing that is a important mindset to never give up is also the beginner's mindset. Mm-hmm. Right? Things that you're trying new for the first time or breaking into new, new grounds. Is there anything that you're working on or that you're applying the beginner's mindset to? Something new that you've never tried before or interested in learning? Lots of things in work. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, lots of beginner mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I generally like to, uh, when, I'm, when I'm creating things, mm-hmm. um, I know there's frameworks that you can leverage, uh, mm-hmm. but I generally like to come in with a beginner's mindset yeah. at the very beginning in the, mm-hmm. the planning, the outlining phase. Oh. Then after that, then it's a true rainstorm because mm-hmm. you're throwing everything out. You even throw out the bad ideas, mm-hmm. and then you then contrast that um, by refining, and then also comparing with what other people have done. Yeah. And so yeah. at that point, mm-hmm. then you really start developing. But mm-hmm. the beginner's mindset is always super good at the beginning of any sort of creation mm-hmm. phase for me. So this is again a both perfect timing as well as I'm not committing to this fully, fully in a way. <laughs> but I've always been interested in you know learning how to better use your voice, and for myself, you know, doing this podcast has been a a cruel, sometimes crazy, uh, forced encounter with my own voice where mm. even editing these episodes you have to hear all the ums and the silly words that I say when I feel yeah. the tie I say wow very often <laughs> in a way where it's like okay I'm starting to learn my spoken voice but I've also been very interested in possibly 2020 maybe learning more about singing yes. do you have any advice you know for a completely new beginner who whose only foray into singing was freshman year uh, choir class where all the freshman boys thought we were very smart that there would be a lot of girls in the class therefore Let's all sign up for choir, <laughs> creating too many boys. So they had to create a boys-only choir class. I don't know if you. I didn't know that, but that uh, sounds. Yeah, it was quite quite hilarious. But since then, I was like, oh, my strategy didn't work. But uh, I'm really curious about like, getting better at singing. Right, I've never taken a single vocal class. Like, what advice would you give to someone that's interested for the first time in voice at a broader level? Yeah. Because I, I myself am not yeah. a particularly good singer. I would sure. say. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm more of a beatboxer, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of things to be taken. Um, 
school uh, from from the back and then you can apply the same thing. Um, the first thing is, I would say, breath control. Mm. And this is important actually in, in life in general. Yeah. This is what I'll do. This is this is golden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, breath control for uh, obviously it's it's you need to have good breath uh, to sing uh, strongly and, and not and bad help. breath either. So not, good breath and not bad <laughs> breath. Sorry, sorry. Can't thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, being able being able to have good breath control means that you can sing for a sustained period of time with a high quality, um, and that's that's at the very uh, fundamental level. It's the backbone for what makes a good singer. Mm. Um, but breath control is also really important in general when you're when you're speaking. When you're um, exercising, mm. it's good to, and also when you're sleeping, oh, it's yeah. also good to understand mm. kind of like what it means to breathe in and out. Kind of uh, focus on your breathing a little bit, mm. and allow kind of this. This sounds a little hokey, mm. but it's kind of like understanding that like your breath is kind of uh, the breath of life, yeah. and it's crucial for everything that you do. So mm. you know when you're exercising, mm -hmm. focusing on your breath sometimes. Um, instead of focusing on like the pain that you're feeling uh, in yeah, your yeah. muscles, uh -huh. and when you're trying to go to sleep, kind of understanding uh, and feeling the ups and downs. I think mm -hmm. that's super important. And same thing for for music, mm -hmm. uh, for singing, because you're going to be inhaling breath and you're using all of it in a, a focused manner mm -hmm. to produce tones. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's the first thing. The second thing also applies to real life, yeah. uh, which is just being able to have confidence. Ooh, um, when yeah. I first started beatboxing and like trying to sing a little bit, mm -hmm. I was really shy about it. Yeah. Uh, it, and when you're really shy about it, mm -hmm. it actually ends up sounding even worse, which is a really bad perpetuating cycle. Mm -hmm. um, when you when you sing louder, you obviously have better control, mm -hmm. but then you do it more freely, mm -hmm. and the tone of your voice just automatically gets better. Ah. Um, just, um, obviously, that, that that's kind of a broad statement, right, but right. Just, like compared to when you are singing timidly, mm. when you sing it out, it generally sounds a lot better. Mm. And so, I, I what I would say is, you know, be confident. Uh, you know, kind of be strident in mm. what you're doing, uh, and then, you know, that's that's kind of how you can practice and be better. Mm. Because if your if your barometer for how you're singing mm. is kind of timid and yeah. kind of quiet, then you you won't be able to improve on that. But if you give it your best effort, and you then kind of measure how you're doing against that, mm. then that's a much more accurate evaluation, which yeah. is, you know, important for everything in life. Like, you know, if you're playing basketball and you're like, oh, I don't really want to try and then you don't do well, then it's like, okay, well, you kind of shot yourself in the foot. Right. But then if you try your best and you lose, then you don't have to feel so bad about yeah. yourself. I'm curious too, if like a, a third part of, you know, the learning to, to sing or better mastering your voice, whether for beatboxing, speaking or singing, what about like teachers or mentors? Like, does that help in the singing process? Do you need like a singing coach to help you point out what is good, what is bad, or do you, you know, face yourself in the webcam slash, you know, in these audio recording uh, programs? Is that what you do, or how do you get better? Is it just practice and you just know by doing it more you get better? How do you get that feedback? I think it's a, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do things differently. Mm -hmm. um, it's always really good to have a mentor because mm -hmm. somebody who knows yeah. like how to do it is going to be able to tell you mm -hmm. and save you a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but if it's something that you're wanting to do on your own, mm -hmm. Uh, having clear targets and objectives mm -hmm. is really important uh, because obviously there's kind of a standard for like you know what is a good voice mm -hmm. what is a good singing tone yeah. and that actually originated from like operatic days Wow! and so you know for people that's kind of like oh classically speaking your voice should sound good like this yeah but because there's so many different genres of music now um, you don't necessarily have to have the very operatic voice the very classical tall yeah. sound mm -hmm. so what you can do mm -hmm. is you can work on your voice um, Try to learn the technique huh. um, from some sort of 
either a person or from a like a tutorial online yeah. or in a group setting mm -hmm. and then from there then kind of practice on your own yeah. and that's that's how a lot of people do get better uh, mm -hmm. on their own at singing or at beatboxing or anything like that yeah. like good practice kind of makes perfect mm -hmm. And thank you so much for sharing that and it's it's very much a genuine you know curiosity for myself to learn more about that at the same time too i kind of thought that there's a lot of metaphor for kind of those lessons that you shared you know whether it's in your career trying to figure out what you want to do it's like well having a mentor helps you know, or like understanding like what does traditionally an operatic sense what is a good tenor sound like right mm -hmm. oh this is if you want to do if you're an analytical person and you want to do a career in analytics this is what would be a potential career path so i think it's it's oddly but beautifully fitting that that same advice for how to get better at singing or beatboxing is the same with kind of navigating your career. Yeah, and I think it's also different for everyone, but this has worked for me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the, the actual advice is yeah. kind of like find what works for you. Yeah. Don't be afraid to test a bunch uh -huh. of things out. And then once you find what works, like, you know, double down on it. Yeah, yeah. And for yourself, both for your career and in music, like, do you find it... Or what do you look for in a mentor? What do you look for in a teacher slash manager? What sort of personality traits do you best you know, identify with and you know, do you look up to? I, I think it's different for everybody, mm -hmm. to be really honest mm -hmm. with you. Um, but for me, the, the first thing I actually look for is kind of like a personality match. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means is people express their personalities differently, but at the core, you're a type of person, right? Yeah. So somebody mm -hmm. who is a good person, um, kind of like, What's the best way of putting this? Mm -hmm. Like, the, for me, uh, somebody who's like a good person yeah. um, and also kind of meshes in personality mm -hmm. as in like not as not super grating and not mm -hmm. super abrasive. Yeah. That's kind of what works for me because um, that's a combination of what messages they'd be teaching me as well as how are they teaching me. Mm -hmm. That's the very first thing. And then from there, it's kind of like how well are they able to kind of present themselves? Mm. Um, and this is probably just for me personally, but yeah. I uh, one thing I've you know alluded to earlier was I want to become a better like presenter, yeah. um, and being able to pull together a presentation that people like you know can can appreciate mm -hmm. you know your audience. Mm -hmm. And so finding a mentor that's able to do that, you can kind of learn by example mm -hmm. from them. And so that's those those two are kind of the big things that I look for in a mentor. Um, obviously, uh, domain expertise is also super helpful, yeah. um, but those people don't necessarily at least for me, need to be my mentors. I can, I can pick the brain of you, mm -hmm. uh, and you can give me a lot of really great insight. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, a mentor is somebody who I can look up to as an example, um, and is able to kind of steer me in the right way too. Yeah, yeah. On that second point you made about you know the presence and kind of how they present themselves, right? I think it's it's very akin to what you mentioned earlier about that confidence and to make <coughs> it easy. I think it's it's there's that quote of like it's very hard to make things look easy right Where yeah to make it easy looks hard i think is a better way of putting it right that's like, good whether it's you know on the basketball court in a meeting room or you know, you know interacting with animals whatever it may be yeah but i think when i first started my career at microsoft i was really really thankful that one vp in particular the guy that led our division his name is matt barlow uh, i think he now runs like a whole like windows division Ooh. or something so he's like he's been there for a while but he's one of the most charismatic empathetic and highest presence people have ever watched present it was incredible like every meeting it's like he's there i think i still pick up some of his tendencies you know how he counts like <laughs> one two three and they always says the word like after that fair fair you know all right all right team it's just all these little tendencies i i didn't realize i started picking up all of them until i left and i was like oh wow like i really looked up to that guy and i feel that 
he was just such a sincere human being mm. that I, I don't know at the same time too it's like maybe it's a carefully curated and crafted <coughs> persona after many years of you know, leading Bose and their sales division mm. and many other brands but it's like wow that's a very self-aware leader so I think self-awareness is something that I actually find. yeah that's a really yeah, good self-awareness one self-regulation I think are really seldom mentioned uh, personality traits I think mm. Mm. I agree yeah and as we wrap up this episode, I always love to you know, ask about advice, advice that you would love to share with folks that are, say, 20 years old, or folks, uh, advice that you would give to yourself if you were uh, your younger self. Well, it's kind of cliche, yeah. but uh, definitely keep things in perspective. Mm. I think <clears throat> it's really, really easy to get caught up in the moment, which is good because you get to immerse yourself fully, mm. but it is definitely valuable to take a step back sometimes kind of see where you've come from to where you are now mm -hmm. and also see kind of where are you trying to get to mm -hmm. and that can help you shape a lot of the decisions that you make as opposed to doing it like in the heat of the moment mm -hmm. um, and this this applies across everything I think yeah yeah it, talking about like decisions and perspective uh, one piece of wisdom that I recently stumbled upon is I feel like we judge our we judge our decisions based on the outcomes as opposed to the decisions themselves mm -hmm. I feel like very often we do make the right decision with the information that you have with the you know, predicted outcomes, but sometimes things don't go the right way, and I yeah. feel like we just judge ourselves really harshly that I made the wrong decision, boo hoo hoo. But it's like no, 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 you made the right decision at the time. It just this was out of your control. So I think yeah. that's another really important thing about perspective. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And Michael, as the last question is, what are you excited for twenty twenty? So Michael, as we wrap up, one last question for you is, what are you excited for in twenty twenty? Career-wise in 2020, I'm excited for a lot of experiences mm -hmm. that I will be having uh, just in terms of creating a larger campaign. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of uh, good in terms of skills, technical skills in actually a lot of other channels, uh, a lot of new channels, but also being able to manage a larger project. And so I think looking at campaigns holistically in 2020, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a big step for me forward. Mm -hmm. Um, for my life personally, I feel like uh, I'm approaching 30, so it's going to be a lot of reflection, yeah. um, a lot of just, you know, building out relationships, continuing to build out relationships, mm -hmm. and like, I think taking a more concerted step towards meeting new people, Yeah, yeah. Uh, both uh, professionally and both in my personal life. So I think there's a lot to offer in 2020. I just... I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. So I, I'm open to whatever 2020 brings. Yeah, and I guess we're still you know, a week and a half ahead of schedule in terms of New Year's you know, resolutions, oh, yeah. right? So, I mean, once you put more thought into it and all that, I'm sure you're only going to be, only good things are ahead of us both. So I think, I don't know. I sure hope so. Yeah, I sure yeah, <laughs> like it's like, I think we're, we're very, very blessed. I think when you talk about perspective, it's also realizing that, you know, both of us have had you know, very, very privileged lives and we've, to make the most out of it and i think a part of what we can do is to kind of share our advice you know whether through podcasts like this or to continue mentoring you know, folks that whether they look like us or don't you know i think just being able to help out in any way we can is the uh, something that we can all do in 2020. absolutely and i think being privileged is something that uh, is really important to keep mm -hmm. in perspective yep. um we're really lucky to have gone to school in Monte Vista, mm -hmm. gone to good colleges, mm -hmm. and been able to carve out a career for ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not always possible for everybody. And I think, you know, part of it you can say like, oh, you know, you prepared well. But at the same time, it is also a bit of luck. So being able to recognize that and not get too full of yourself, I think. Yeah, yeah. Don't rest on those laurels really too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to sharing this podcast with our listeners, and maybe we'll you know, do some more music talk in the future. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, Eric. Thanks, Michael. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paper Lantern Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Wong, and I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. We are just getting started with producing episodes and could use your input to help us get better. If you have any feedback for us or suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a friend or colleague that you think might enjoy this episode, please share our podcast with them and tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers.